You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. We're, we're sort of traveling this little journey. Hey, what's up, buddy? It's Jenna. I haven't seen you. We're sort of traveling this little journey together uh, through Ephesians. And it's, I've enjoyed this. And every week I'm learning something new, and I hope you are too. Um, and the, so we basically, and I can get the hula hoops out if I need to. If y'all, just let me know because I'm not afraid, as y'all know. Uh, but we're basically traveling in this journey from uh, darkness to light, uh, this journey from death to life. And so Paul is just taking us through these things. And last week we sort of saw that. Paul was talking about like what you do with your body, it matters to God. And then we saw Paul say what, the words you speak, what you, what you speak out of your mouth, that matters to God. And we saw Paul say what you do with your money, these things matter to God. And then it was sort of all summed up. And if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 and a little bit of 6 today. He summed it up in Ephesians 5, uh, 15. And he said this, be careful, be very careful then how you live, not as, not as the unwise, but as the wise making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine. Remember, that's not a loophole. He doesn't say, you know, don't get drunk on wine, but Jägermeister's okay. It's like he's saying, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks that was like the anecdote for everything. Like in all circumstances, give thanks to God the Father for in everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends with this line, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he says all these amazing things. And then he ends it with this little line, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, so we're going to sort of set up camp here because he's about to talk about what that looks like in your homes. And so, but the word submit, um, when y'all think of the word submit, is it typically attached to a positive connotation in your brain? No. You know what I think of when I think of the word submit? I had three older brothers. Uh, one of them is watching right now. I saw him online. And what you used to do to me when I was little was, one day I was sitting there eating my, this is a true story, I was eating Fruit Loops, minding my own business. I had a big bowl because we would eat big, you know, the biggest bowl you could possibly, and Bruce who's watching online right now, took my arm, put it behind my back, stuck my face in my Fruit Loops and said, what did he want me to say? Submit. submit. I submit. I had to tap out before my brother would stop drowning my face in my Fruit Loop bowl. So if you're online, just give Bruce a what up for that positive thing he did. And this is normal for brothers though. They would grab me and they would like, you know, twist me or something and stick me. And then it was like submit. And I had to tap out, tap out, you know, uncle, uncle. And then, so when I think of the word submit, that's sort of where my mind goes. Or maybe I think of like MMA. Uh, any of you MMA guys in here? Just me? All right. So I'm the only one. <laughs> so basically, if I was to put any of you in a figure four leg lock, you would instantly surrender. I could also do the full Nelson, pile driver, any of these things. You would instantly submit to my overwhelming power. So <laughs> that's not funny. So what I want to... <laughs> being honest. So when I think of the word submit, it sort of boils down like this. I think of someone more powerful, takes someone less powerful, and somehow forces them into submission. And so when I think of submit, that's sort of what I think about. But when Paul is talking about submit, when Paul says submit to one another, that is not what Paul is talking about. 
Okay, so Paul lives in a world where the, where the powerful have all the power, where the wealthy have all the power, uh, where the men have all the power. And so he's not saying, those of you who have all the power, what I want you to do is go out in the community, get the arm of the less powerful people, put it behind their back, and put them on the ground until they tap out. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want you to choose of your own free will to elevate someone else above yourself. I want you to choose. So I want you to decide of your free will. And guys, that is huge in understanding where we're going today. By your own choice. Not out of coercion, not out of force, not because someone made you do it. Of your own choice, willingly choosing to elevate someone else above yourself. So when Paul says submit to one another, that's what he's talking about. I mean, in he, in, I'm telling you, in his world, th this is an upside down crazy thing because the powerful had all the power and they, and they ruled over everybody else. They didn't submit to anyone. So when Paul says this, it is groundbreaking, world changing statements. And we saw this same ethic lived out in the church at Acts. And if, if y'all have been here for any length of time, you've heard me read this verse at least 496 times. Acts 2, Acts 2.44, all the believers were together. And had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had a need. That was not normal stuff. It's not normal stuff today. I, I remember talking to this good friend of mine. He was like, man, that's just not practical anymore. And I was like, was it practical then? It's never been practical for everyone to, to sell everything they have and just say, hey, let's all. Matter of fact, if I wanted to do that today, let's all sell everything we have, put it in the middle, and just kind of grab what we want. How do y'all, some of y'all be like, yeah. <laughs> finally getting paid. Others of you would be like, I think I will be at another church next week. <laughs> Understandably, right? That's a difficult ethic to live out. And so in this world where Paul is talking in our world today to say, hey, let's all just share and have everything in common. There will be no rich. There will be no poor. There will just be one humanity in Christ together. This is world changing stuff. Okay. Remember, Paul is bringing this kingdom world in to the world that you and I live in and this now but not yet overlap thing that we've been talking about. And so Paul is bringing this in, but Paul still lives in this world. He's still speaking into a world that plays by the system of the world. And so although Paul is changing the world, he's still going to play by the rules of the world in some way because otherwise you scare the world away from your table. This is what we in the business call life application. You, you take an idea or a concept that looks not familiar in this world, and you show them how to apply that within the world you currently live in. And so, like, people have read this and used this passage to criticize the church, used it to act like the, that the Bible is promoting slavery or, or misogyny, which is basically just a, a word that means, you know, women are less than men, or that the Bible is promoting that you uh, treat your children poorly because of this passage. But that is not what is happening. And to, to come away with that understanding is not really to read it because that's not what Paul is doing. Now, you can't just walk into a world and suddenly change everything. What Paul is attempting to do is change hearts and change minds so that you can change direction. And we're going to see that play out today. And guys, when you, when you read the Bible, I think it's super important to understand this is, this is a tool for learning to read the Bible. When the Bible doesn't specifically spell something out, like in, in, in Paul does not say, hey, guys, slavery is wrong, okay? But look for threads and directions in the scripture. 
He lived in a world where slavery was so normal, like no one ever thought twice about it. It was the way of the world. And Paul is going to take this thing and change the direction. If you read the Bible, you will see a direction going towards all men are created equal. Same thing with women's rights. You're going to see a direction in the Bible going towards equality. So even though it may not be fully spelled out here, I want you to see that Paul is changing the trajectory forever. And those of you women who spoke to each other out loud this morning, you are reaping the fruits of the direction that Paul changed inside the church. And so just, just, just stick with me because it's, it's pretty cool stuff. I'm clearly excited about it. All right, so I'm going to read a massive piece of scripture now. And I know if you zone out, I get it, but I think it's good to hear this whole thing in context and then go back and break it down. This is Ephesians 5. Uh, we're going to start with verse 21, and we're going to read all the way through Ephesians 6, 9. If you got your Bible, man, follow along. Otherwise, just try to stay with me because there is value in hearing this whole thing and then going back. Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so that's husbands and wives. Now we jump into chapter 6. Children, children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor, as, uh, when their favor is at their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven shows no favoritism between you. Okay, imagine we just showed up with no context in the American church and just said, hey guys, I just want to share some ideas with you. Uh, women, submit to your husbands. Children, just don't be annoying. And uh, slaves, obey your masters. See you next week. How would that go out of context? About like it just went. Not well, right? But, but there, there's a massive context to what Paul is doing here. And he's talking about this movement of one world to the other. And in Paul's world, there was something called the household co code. Household code. This was the rule of Paul's world. And let me sum up the household. It, it, every writing, you can read about this from Aristotle. You can read about it from anybody. Household code. Why can't I say that? <laughs> Y'all try to say it. Say it. Say it. That's weird. I'm the only person in the room who can't do it. How strange. Um, but like, so here, here was the breakdown of the code. Men, oh, free men, 
which was a small percentage of people, free men, you are master of everything. In your home, there should be a woman. You are the master of the woman. There should be children, preferably boy children. You are the master of the boy children and the girl children, preferably boy children. You are also the master of your slaves, and there should be slaves. And and this was the setup. This was the common understanding. No one questioned it. It was a written rule. And, you know, like we have unwritten norms. And, like, if a woman is coming to the door, Mr. Gatsky's back there. I, I, I can almost guarantee if a woman was coming to the door, Gatsky would hold the door for her. Because that is what men in our society tend to do. Um, when I eat dinner with Caden, you know, my, my son is half Laotian. When I have dinner with his family, there's some rules about, you know, you take your shoes off when you come in the house and you don't sit higher than the eldest person in the room. It's a respect deal. Like if, if the eldest person in the room is on the floor, you should sit on them. It's, just, it's a sign of respect. In Paul's society, the normal way of life was the free man is in charge of everything. He is ruler supreme. Okay, you got that? This is the world Paul is writing this passage into. And I want you to see something. Paul does something that no one would have ever done. He doesn't just address the man. Paul actually addresses women. He he says, says, wives, submit to your husband. Okay, when he says that, who's he talking to? Wife. Later on, he says, children, obey your parents. Who's he talking to there? Later on, he says, slaves, obey your master. Who's he talking to there? Why would no one ever write to women, children, and slaves? What's one really practical reason you wouldn't write to them? None of them could read. You didn't teach these people to read. And here, Paul is doing something. He is inviting them to be part of something they've never been part of before. Not only that, look who he addresses first. He says, women, then men. He addresses the children, then the parents. He addresses the slave, then the master. Not only does he address people who've never before been addressed in a writing like this, he addresses them first. Guys, this is not an accident. He is changing the landscape of the way people are to be treated. He's inviting them into a world that doesn't center around the honor of the man. It centers around reverence of Jesus the Christ. This, and this is what they use against us because they just don't understand. And because so few of us have taken the time to understand, we let them. This is not misogyny. This is not racism. This is someone taking the situation, the context in which they live, and changing things in the best way you possibly can. Like, part of me, when you first read Paul, and he's addressing slavery and women's rights, and children, don't you just want to go, Paul, why didn't you just show up and say, hey, slavery's wrong, women are equal, and I'm calling DHS because you're all terrible parents. I mean, Isn't that what we want Paul to say? And I was reading it thinking, man, Paul, why didn't you go in there and say that? And then I started thinking, hold on. If I had a time machine, so everyone pretend you have a time machine. And after you go back and win the lottery, I I know, after we do that, we all do that first. After we do that, what if your assignment was to go back to the ancient world and introduce these slave-owning, misogynistic humans to Jesus Christ? Would the wise thing be to walk into their community and go, hello, everyone, I'm here uh, with a better way of life. You're all wrong. 
Most of you are going to hell. Equality for women, free the slaves, and kids, you're on your own now. Thank you very much. Is that how you'd win the people? Because let me tell you what they would do with you. Johnny ball game for you. They, they would kill you. And no one would listen to you. And so what Paul is doing is speaking to the people because you can't always just change the world. But what you can do is win proximity to people, begin to change their hearts so that their direction changes. And over time, that new direction changes the world. And that is what Paul is doing. And you let me tell you why I love it so much. It's exactly what I do. You know how many times I want to say something? Someone will be like, why weren't you tougher on that? Why weren't you strong? Why didn't you go up? Because I don't want to run y'all off from the table. I want to push a little, but I want to keep the people I'm pushing at the table. Right? I mean, imagine someone comes into my house and just says, Tommy, today we're just going to talk about everything you do wrong. I'd be like, kindly leave. <laughs> kindly leave. I mean, that's, uh, but I mean, that, that's, Paul is meeting them where they are living in their world, but showing them how over time their world can completely change. And so it just makes sense. Um, and Paul, this is so important, guys. Paul's main objective is not uh, equality of women, uh, abolition of slavery, or children's rights. Now, I think all those things are important, but those weren't Paul's main objectives. Paul's main objective was introducing people to Jesus Christ. But what Paul, I think what Paul probably believed and what I believe is that over time, if you make your main objective your main objective, then the world will change. People will realize that women are equal to men. People will realize that we should live in a world where everyone is treated the same regardless of their color of their skin. And we will realize that we should, we should live in a world where fathers and mothers treat their children with nurturing and kindness. And we will realize these things as we meet Jesus. But you must keep the main thing always the main thing, or you just run everybody away from the table before anyone gets a chance to have dinner. All right? There's steps. He's not, he's, not, this, he's not writing the final word. He's writing the steps. But matter of fact, listen to this. This is verse 8. It says, because you know that the Lord, he's talking to slave owners now. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Whoa. He just spoke into a world where slave owning has always been the way of, it's all they've ever known. He said, hey, just so you know, that slave is equal to you in the eyes of God. Don't you tell me that the Bible is promoting slavery. Because that is not the narrative. That's not the thread. That's not the action. That is not what Paul is doing here. He is doing something groundbreaking. That's why you have to look for threads. You have to look for directions. All right, with all that understood, let's just go back and check out this whole submit to one another thing. Um, women, you should really pay attention. Men, you should really pay attention. I like uh, the pause that makes that joke awkward and funny to me. All right, so... Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, who's he addressing first? Crazy. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy by cleansing her, washing her with water without stain or wrinkle, that there would be no blemish in her, but she'd be holy and blameless. 
And then he goes on to talk about nurturing her and feeding her and caring for her. All right, so what is this passage really talking about? Is this talking about a powerful man making it someone who might not have the same amount of physical strength submit? Is that what this is talking about? If any of you still think yes, you're never going to be happy at this church. (laughs) If you still think that's what it's talking about. Because that's not what it's talking about. What he's saying is, what would a marriage look like where both partners submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ? And he says, women, submit to your husbands. Like purposely, of your own free will, elevate their needs ahead of your own. Love them and and honor them. He's like, submit to them. So uh, free will, out of choice, submit to them. But then he says, husbands, love her the way Christ loved his church. Does anyone remember what Jesus did for the church? I'm sorry, this is church. We can say this one out loud. What did he do for the church? Died. Who's actually getting the harder deal here? Women, submit to your husbands. Husbands, die for your wives. And he's writing to a world where the husband would have been 30 or 40 years older than the woman he was marrying. He's writing to a world where a grown man would have been given a teenage girl as his wife And I'm reading this going, man, if if, if I lived in this world and I had to give my Kinley to some grown man, if that was the world I lived in, what would I say? And here's what I would say to him. You preserve her. You honor her. You protect her. You provide for her. You respect her. You love her. You lay down your life for her the way Christ laid down his life for the church. You do that for my daughter. This is not misogyny. This is a good, good father protecting his daughter. You hear what he's doing? You protect her. No, don't take her for granted. You love her and cherish her and protect her. And women, respect him and honor him and cherish him. Does this really sound that bad? I think this is probably what most of you signed up for when you signed up for marriage. Not sure we all executed it that well. I know my wife struggled with it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You've been great. No, you're good. You're good. You're really. You're doing a great job. Uh, that's fun. I mean, but we've all struggled with this a little, haven't we? I mean, remember, he's taking a kingdom that does not look like this world, and saying, "Here, live this out in your marriage, in your homes." Uh, live differently in the world. Here, here's probably my favorite part today. So he says, I'm not just talking about husbands and wives. I'm also talking about Christ and his church. Now I want you guys to hear the verbs that he uses when he's, hear the verbs that he uses when he talks to men about caring for their wives and the verbs he uses when he talks about Christ caring for his church. Here's one of them, cleansing, washing, Removing stains and wrinkles, removing all blemishes, caring, nurturing. Okay, I know not today, I know not today, but historically speaking, if I was to give you a list of verbs that included cleansing, washing, removing stains and wrinkles, nurturing and caring for, what gender would you think I was talking about? Women. We're all scared to say it. Women, historically, again, we're not talking about today, we're talking about historically, those roles would go to women. And these are the verbs that Paul is using to describe the way the king of the world loves his church. 
Misogyny? I don't think so. This is liberation. This is freedom. This is a thread of where he assigns the roles that were historically assigned to women, to men in taking care of their husbands and to the king of the world and preparing his church for himself. Guys, this is something the world had never heard, right? And so how, how would this play out in the world? Let, let's do a practical situation here. Uh, I'm going to act out a little skit. <clears throat> Scene, okay. That's a little over the top. I don't really need to do that. All right, so imagine, imagine you're one of these Christians. You're one of these Christians that Paul has written to, and you decide to live this ethic out in your world, okay? And you've got a next-door neighbor, and your next-door neighbor is looking into your life, and here's some of the things your next-door neighbor might be saying. Man, there's a, what's a good Roman? Maximus, you know, Aurelius, Aurelius, and then the other neighbor's name is like, I don't know, Maximus, nor, I don't know, it doesn't matter. They're just Romans, right? And so he's, lo he's, looking at, he's looking at his neighbor's house, and his neighbor's a Christian, and he's going, man, he's got a wife, and I've got a wife, but he doesn't treat his wife like property. He treats her like a partner. That's weird. And he's, he's got children, and I've got children, but he doesn't abuse his children. He nurtures them. He disciplines them, but he loves them. It's almost like he even has a relationship with them. Even that strange little girl child. He doesn't understand that she's worthless in our society right now. He's got a relationship with the girl child. That's so weird. And I've got slaves, and I see that he has slaves, but he doesn't beat his slaves. Matter of fact, he invites his slaves to eat at his family table. I, I, I don't understand. And what, what the neighbor is watching is someone who lives in his world, but he's not of his world. He's watching someone who's, who's playing by the rules of his world, but he's changing the rules of his world. And over time, when you have a neighbor who's in your world, but not of your world, you begin to ask questions. And as that neighbor begins to, to get to know that other neighbor, then you have conversations that change hearts and change directions. And this is how you change a community. You don't walk in and tell everybody, get American and speak English. You walk in and you meet people where they are. You learn what they know and you walk with them to help them understand a new direction. This is the form of evangelism that Paul used. It's the form that Jesus used. And if we want to change the world, I would highly recommend this become the form of evangelism we use. It's not best carried out on the Facebook. I threw up in my mouth again. It's best carried out one-on-one. -on -one. Building relationships. Meeting people where they are. Establishing empathy. And then walking with them for the purpose of finding a new direction that will one day change the world. And so when people critique our Bible as misogynistic or wanting slavery or anything, as Paul Harvey said, now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.